You're listening to Messy Jesus Business, a podcast about radical gospel living. Hi, everyone. I'm Sister Julia Walsh, a writer, spiritual director, and jail minister living in Chicago. Welcome to The Mess. At Messy Jesus Business, we explore how the mess of radical gospel living brings disciples into a life of struggle as we advocate for social justice, live simply, serve others, practice contemplation, and live in community. And now on to our guest. Brother Matt Wooters is a native of Washington, D.C. He joined the Jesuits in 2012 after graduating from John Carroll University. After college, he served for two years with the Jesuit Volunteer Corps in Belize. He holds graduate degrees in social work and theology from St. Louis University and Santa Clara University, respectively. Brother Matt has spent most of his life working with people experiencing homelessness, migrants, and those struggling with addiction. He is an open water swimmer, a podcaster, and a lover of stand-up comedy. In this episode of Messy Jesus Business Podcast, we talk about how Brother Matt became a Jesuit, what it means to be human, and the value of being real in our brokenness together. We discuss how swimming is a form of prayer for Brother Matt and how he has integrated his passion for swimming into his vocation. We consider what it means to give our whole selves to God and our tendency to think we can hide from God at the same time. Finally, we talk about the mess of showing up and how commitment means we have to show up even when the going gets tough. Enjoy. Welcome to Messy Jesus Business, Hello. Matt. It's great to be with you. Brother Matt Wooters, SJ, uh-huh. Society of Jesus. Society of Jesus. Yeah. So you are the vocation promoter for the Jesuits presently. And I understand you also have a degree in social work and a degree in theology. But you're really on the road a lot. I am on the road a lot. Yeah. So this job for anyone listening. Uh, so I meet with people who are interested in becoming a Jesuit, which means I go and travel and meet them. So wherever they are, if they are from the Midwest or have ties to the Midwest, I will go see them wherever they're at. Sometimes that's down the street and sometimes that's like very far away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting being your friend because I never know where you are. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's yeah. where the... my mom like doesn't know where I am ever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so who knows? Like the people you live with, basically. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but this you're in the Midwest Jesuits. Uh-huh. However, you're from Washington D.C. That's right. So how did this happen? That you didn't? Why didn't you join the East Coast Jesuits? Right. So we have four geographical um, provinces, as we call them, geographical regions for the Jesuits. And so I grew up on the East Coast, went to a Jesuit high school there, and then I went to a Jesuit university in the Midwest. And so that was my tie to. Mm. Midwest Jesuits, and um, yeah, so I joined the Jesuits uh, 10 or so years ago, and I just finished formation, 
um, Jesuit formation is notoriously long. <laughs> 12 years? That's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, so this is my first assignment and my first missioning, as we say, after formation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is this what you ever imagined you'd be doing? No. Uh, you know, I texted someone recently and I was like, you know, joining the largest missionary order in the world, I thought there'd be a lot more like canoeing in the Amazon and a lot less Southwest Airlines, but <laughs> being a missionary these days looks a little different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I know you, as you know, I'm in a vocation ministry mm-hmm. role myself. And so I know you, I think more intimately that way. Tell me more of your story. Sure. How, that's the thing I want to hear about. Why are you saying that you're a missionary? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in Washington, D.C., and I'm the third of four boys uh, in my family. I have a huge Irish Catholic family. Um, I have like 100 or so cousins on each side. Uh, so really big family. Uh, church was a big part of our life growing up, kind of culturally Catholic, church on Sundays, Catholic school, literally my entire education, two graduate degrees through kindergarten. Um, I've never not been in Catholic school. <laughs> so, yeah. And uh, for me, j- becoming a Jesuit felt like, in some ways, a natural next step of who I wanted to be when I grew up, mm-hmm. which was I kind of wanted to be on adventures and I wanted to travel a lot. And as I got older, I really liked working with marginalized communities. And so kind of paying attention to my own desires and where was God moving in me, what made me feel alive, and how could I do more of that? Mm. And I kind of culminated in becoming a Jesuit. Mm, so mm. we Jesuits kind of go where the need is greatest and historically and uh, right now apparently the need is for me <laughs> to be the vocation guy <laughs> to go uh, which is part uh, companion on the journey, part dis- discerner, part, part spiritual director. So um, it's a lot of different roles uh, but mostly I'm not in sales. I think sometimes people think that you and I in vocation work are in sales yeah. and I'm really not interested in selling anything. Mm-hmm. Um I believe that everyone has a vocation. I don't believe everyone has a Jesuit vocation. Mm -hmm. And so uh, my job is to accompany young men to see, yeah, where where their vocation might be, even if it's not with us. What is vocation? Yeah. I think a vocation is um, a combination of your skills, where you're your best self, and where is the need in the world, um, and what's something you can't not do. So what's something you keep thinking about? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think anyone who's married knows there was a point when they were dating where they had to take a next step and they couldn't necessarily put language around it, but they couldn't imagine life without this other person in a very committed way. Mm. And so I think a religious vocation is very similar. At some point, you stop flirting with the idea and you have to take a leap. Mm, yeah. Do you feel like God's a flirt? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, I think sometimes God can be, especially if you're discerning, God can be like a gnat that won't go away. (laughs) (laughs) Like a fruit fly. Yeah, exactly. Just like try and ignore it. Good luck. Um, Yeah. You know, I think there's something, there's something about that, about um, the psalmist talk about that of like, yeah, you can't get away from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So is, is it a destiny? Like I've heard that word used sometimes in other spaces and, and I and and myself trying to work through, like, what is the difference between call and choice, mm-hmm. and what things can we actually say no to, and what things is it does it feel like if you're you are you do say no to it, you're you're kind of lying to yourself. Yeah, I think that's a good that's a good distinction. Um, so, I mean, Saint Ignatius, who you know in many ways was like the 
captain of discernment, right? He's kind of known for the spiritual exercises and helping people discern. Um, and he always says discernment is between two goods. Mm-hmm. So first of all, it's not discernment if it's like a good choice or a bad choice. That's that's obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's the thing? Where are you being pulled? Mm. Um, and I think for people discerning, they sometimes need to come check it out. Mm-hmm. And it becomes very obvious if it's good for them or not. Yeah. People um, leave during the novitiate all the time. People leave all the time. And that's what it's there for. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you take... When you agree to enter the Jesuits, you're not agreeing to be ordained. You are just <laughs> there for the novitiate. You know, like you yeah. go in full-hearted, not with no reservations, but um, there's a courting process, like like an engagement, mm-hmm. where at any point in an engagement, you can call it off as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I when I think back to my own vocation story and how I ended up becoming a Franciscan sister of perpetual adoration, I... Uh, see how God really only called me to take one step at a time. Mm-hmm. And and I, I find myself telling discerners that too when I'm meeting with them, that like I'm not asking you to leap towards final vows forever right, right now. Like this like are you feeling called to do the application? Totally. <laughs> right? totally. Totally. Like, like that's what we're discerning here. Just totally. the application like, do you have energy about that level of commitment? Mm-hmm. And then do you have lo- energy about the thought of living with sisters and trying this on for a while? Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting, Julie, is when I have talked to guys and I've told them, no, like, this isn't going to be a good fit. Mm-hmm. More often than not, there is a response of relief mm. of kind of like, thank you. Like, I, yeah. need, I needed to come check. But like, actually, I really want to be a dad. And like, I'm kind of grateful that you picked up on that too. Mm. Like there's almost a relief in a, mm-hmm. a drawer closing too. Mm. Matt, how did you work through the questions of like other options in your life? Because I mean, our generation, we could do it and be anything practically. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, that's a great question. Um, and that's something I worry about for people now is kind of drowning in options. Yeah. Because there can become kind of like a like the Netflixication of life. It's like you spend more time scrolling than you do watching a show, right? Like, I do like, that. Yeah, yeah, You right? set up your queue. We all do that, and then we like look, look, look until it's like 10 p.m. and you should just go to bed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I never thought about that. <laughs> it's right. like it's drowning options. Um, yeah. So, yeah, for my own story, I think it was a matter of like, uh, so after college I was a Jesuit volunteer, and mm-hmm. that was really important to me even from high school was this idea of living and working abroad. Yeah. For an extended period of time so i was in belize for two years and working in young adult ministry and leading retreats and living with the other jvs and really working closely with the church in rural belize mm-hmm. um and i actually made a list i made a, like a pro and con list of like what do i want for my life going forward i didn't want to be a jesuit i had thought about it but it wasn't necessarily the most clear idea mm-hmm. um and i was there was parts of my life in belize i really liked and so i was like well what do i like here and so it was living in community, living simply, living close to the materially poor, and having a sense of spirituality. Mm. Um, and so then a kind of light bulb went off where I was like, well, you can do this forever. Mm. Like, <laughs> like you're looking at the paper about what you like. Mm-hmm. And like as a Jesuit, all, you can do all of these things. So that's how you sorted through and sifted through. Yeah, and it wasn't necessarily so clear. This was over months and months, but it was like definitely um, noticing what I was drawn to and how can I do more of it. How can I be more of my best self? Mm, mm. Um, so it was less like applying to college, which felt like, I don't know, everything seems like a good option. Yeah. And more to like, who do I want to be? And how do I aim at that person? How do I aim at that guy? Mm-hmm. Um, I want to be the guy that, insert the blanks here, mm. um, 
and yeah, so I mean, I dated growing up in um, high school and college, but I think I'd be a fine dad and a good husband, but that's not necessarily where mm-hmm. I, I was drawn. Hmm. Well, I barely dated. <laughs> and and I, I was just talking with someone about that this morning and how I think that was God's way of like making sure I made this choice. Mm. And, and I, in, in, which to me is like a story of how God knows us and works with who we are as That's people. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, God knew that like, once I got really involved and excited about somebody, I'd want to jump in in the same way I did to my community yeah. eventually. Yeah. So there is, um, I think also paying attention to those signs and kind of like how God meets us where we are and who we are. Right. Mm. Yeah. Huh. Where, what about the element of surprise for you? Um, yeah, I think there was a, when I look back on my life, it's like, oh yeah, this makes sense. Right. Uh-huh. Like, uh, like every step of the way, Jesuit high school, Jesuit college, Jesuit volunteer corps, become a Jesuit brother. Mm-hmm. Like it, like it tracks mm-hmm. in the moment. It doesn't seem like that. Right. There's right? a lot of people who do that, Matt, right. and they That's don't right. end up Jesuit. So. <laughs> I'm trying to make my job easier if they did. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think it was just like a radical honesty. And like, I don't know if that's um, hmm. nature or nurture or gift or grace or whatever, but a sense of just being like, I want to be authentic and I want to be authentic to my own desires mm. um, and not necessarily doing what I'm supposed to do, whatever that is, mm. you know, go have a family and make a bazillion dollars like that's kind of what we're told in our culture is success mm-hmm. and i have never been drawn to that and so mm-hmm. thankfully uh, <laughs> it makes it easier to be a jesuit that's right that's right yeah so uh, yeah the surprise for me is how happy i've been in this life i think when i joined i was scared i was gonna lose my family and friends mm. i was gonna join this like weird church thing and like miss out mm. uh and i think actually the opposite is true i think most of my very good friends are I've met in the Jesuits and so hmm. it's like I have more intimacy in my life now than I actually did on the outside hmm. so that's what people ask you know everyone goes to like the sex question of like so you can't have sex and I, I'm, I'm intrigued by the question because our culture is kind of sex obsessed um, yeah but I generally find people aren't actually asking about sex they're mm. asking about intimacy mm-hmm. they want to know if we're lonely um, and we're actually, you and I as religious are invited into like the most sacred moments of people's lives, yeah. births and deaths and divorces and stillborns and um, all the, the beautiful and horrible things. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I have a tremendous amount of intimacy and so do you in, in our life. Um, whereas just because you're sexually engaged or sexually active, you can actually be quite lonely yeah. and there is an intimacy there. Mm-hmm. And so that's an interesting pivot I've learned uh, in answering that question is because People tend to hear that answer differently mm-hmm. than the question that they ask. Mm, yeah, yeah. So you said you want, like, were aware you could have been a husband and a dad. Mm. Did you have a desire that you had to kind of like set aside? Um, a little bit. I I think I realized my um, desires to be abroad and to be with the poor. I knew that that didn't necessarily match up with married life. Like, I think I had an awareness that, like, being on the move a lot and mm-hmm. desiring to move a lot and to, to, to live abroad doesn't necessarily match up with mm-hmm. the foundation that a married life needs. Now, do marital volunteers do it? Sure, people do it. Yeah, right. And I have like, friends who work for the State Department. That's, what, totally, that's their totally. life. Totally, and, then, yeah, right. and I think that's beautiful and, and yeah. its own challenge. But, yeah, for me, it was, uh, yeah, a desire to be with people fully and, and not necessarily need to be checking my phone to see if 
my kid got picked up from daycare. Yeah. You know, like I think the gift of our vows is being present at the homeless shelter after hours mm-hmm. when, the, when the little kids haven't been picked up yet. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't have to hustle home to cook dinner for three kids of my own. I can, I'm there for them. Yeah. 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 And it, it's, it's in, in religious life, just like married life is, is a life of give and take and mm-hmm. dance, like dancing with the responsibilities that all the things that are coming at us and mm-hmm. kind of trying to keep a little order in the chaos too, mm-hmm. right? That's right. I mean, I know you are involved at large mm-hmm. and like you have a real commitment mm-hmm. to people with developmental disabilities. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what that, what that is if the listeners don't, don't, don't know about L'Arche? Yeah, sure. So L'Arche is a community for people with and without intellectual um, and developmental disabilities. And the idea is you share life together. It's really countercultural. There's no output. There's no product. <laughs> it's, just, it's not an institution. Uh, so Jean Vanier uh, was visited uh, where an institution where people were more or less kind of like caged and treated really inhumanely, mm-hmm. um, which was pretty common throughout a lot of history for people who uh, had special needs. Um, and he invited, um, I think, the two, Philippe and Raphael, I think were the two guys, he invited to invite him into his house. Mm. And they lived together. And mm. so that's how L'Arche started. Um, and now L'Arche is a federation in every country in the world. And I think every country, it's a lot of countries in the world. And I was assigned to live and work at L'Arche when I was a Jesuit novice as part of our training. Mm. Um, and fell in love with L'Arche, fell in love with what it was and what they represented. Um, I think being with people with special needs, people who are different from what society says are, you know, they're not beautiful, they're not successful, they're not always book smart, um, and they have so much to give. And it's really a school of how to be human. Mm. Um, They're radically honest, they're emotionally honest. When they're happy, they tell you. When they're sad, they tell you. Mm. There's no pretending. so yeah, I, I, I actually was thinking about leaving the Jesuits to stay at L'Arche forever. Um, and an older Jesuit that I admire uh, kind of challenged me and said like, if this community is important for you, then do it as a Jesuit. Mm. Like you don't need to leave to love these people and incorporate them every step of your journey. And I have, so mm. with the Special Olympics and Best Buddies and now L'Arche here in Chicago, I have made that my home. Mm. What does it mean to be a human fully alive? Hmm. I think it means to be in touch with our own smallness and our own fragility and our own brokenness. Mm. And mm. I think the people that I like most in life are in touch with those things. Mm. How do you do that? I surround myself with them. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're great. They're, you know, like, for me, Larsh is not ministry. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's a, a stake in the ground of like who, who God is inviting me to be. And they, huh. they're my teachers. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Um, so it's, is it about like authenticity and humility? Is that what humanity is? Be, what it really means to be human? Uh, yeah, I think, I think what being a human isn't is pretending you have it all together. Yeah. Right? Because like, we're all broken. I mean, mm-hmm. as Catholics, we believe in original sin and like there, there's, a, there's an emptiness and there's a hole that we are perpetually trying to fill. Mm. And so frequently we're trying to fill that with accomplishments or sex or drugs or consuming or gambling, all these, all these things that will never fill the hole. Um, Mm -hmm. and the hole is God. (laughs) Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And how does God, how does God fill you up? God is the ocean that I swim in. I think it's, uh, God's vastness is something that I can't 
get away from even when I pretend to. Mm. But like you're still swimming in the same ocean even if you go a different direction. Uh, and God's been in my life in really beautiful ways and um, the great gift of looking back and seeing where God was in all of it. You know, God was in it when I was in a fraternity and I wasn't really going to church when I was studying abroad and I was across the street from Vatican City and I was never going to mass because I didn't understand it in Italian and I was a dumb, dumb 20 year old. Um, God was in all that. And, mm. and, you know, and I think there's like this great release there for me that this, this isn't something to be searched for. It's already here. Mm. So like wherever anyone's listening from, like God's right there. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to go to church for that. I mean, I hope you go to church, but yeah, <laughs> yeah it but, helps. But it's not just in church. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think that's something that we have forgotten as a culture. Is mm. Like, mm. The divinity all around us. Yeah. I love the metaphor or fact mm-hmm. that God is an ocean. It's mm-hmm. one of my favorite images of God. And when I was a novice, I had this, um, I don't know if it was like a prayer experience or what, but I suddenly I got like, it occurred to me that God's love was an ocean. Mm-hmm. It was just so deep and mysterious and it was, you know, infinite and seemingly. And also this is another thing is I think contemplative prayer and being a creative has like helped me to know the, the what it means that God's an ocean. And I, in, in contemplative prayer, I sometimes just feel like I'm like falling into something mm-hmm. and, and then I get really scared and like mm-hmm. kind of pull myself out because I'm like, oh, I don't know how, if I can swim this deep totally. down, right? Totally. Yeah. Do you ever have that feeling? Sure. Yeah. I mean, like the image of like St. Peter, like eyes on the Lord and then he thinks he's going to drown. Yeah. It's like so relevant. <sighs> it's like, it's yes. like, it's like, I'm with you. I'm with you. I want to be so close to you. I jump right in and then my own fears and my own worries and my like, he turns inward. He suddenly is worried that his ability is too small and the ocean's too great. Right. And his eyes turn away from the Lord. Yes. And like, same thing happens with us in our day-to-day life or in our prayer. It's like, you only get scared when you forget your relationship, right? Yeah. Who is God and who are you? Yeah. And sometimes we get it twisted. We do. We do. Yeah. And you are a serious swimmer. Yeah. 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 How did that happen? Yeah. So, um... Speaking of like discernment and like gifts and talents, like so I swim, I've been on swim teams since I was like five years old. Mm, you're good at it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I, I enjoy it a lot. And um, kind of stopped competitive swimming when I was 18, went to college, whatever. That chapter of my life was closed. And hmm. then um, the pandemic, uh, all the gyms closed. And so I was like in San Francisco in graduate school, mm. uh, living in Berkeley and um, was just staring at the San Francisco Bay. And I was like, I got to, I got to get in. <laughs> I'm gonna murder one of the people I live with because they're cooped up together. Because <laughs> so you like, need it I to just, swim. I need something. I need to get out of here. Um, I'm sure we all felt that. And no, you're supposed to act like you're a non-violent. <laughs> like, that's right. These thoughts don't go through that's religious. Right. That's right. We all, if, you know, murder was a venial sin. It'd be a lot less religious. So. <laughs> uh, we're human, just like everybody else. Um, anyway, so I, I, I get in the bay. I start swimming. Um, yeah. And, then moving here to Chicago, it's been awesome to have Lake Michigan. So mm. last summer I did a pretty big swim for uh, Cristo Rey, one of the low-income schools we run here in, mm-hmm. on the south side of Chicago. And uh, it's been fun to use my talents that I, God-given, fun stuff that I didn't think would be used for ministry. Hmm. And God's like, actually, I want all of it. I want all of you. 
Like, so it's a fundraiser for the school year. Like, yeah, yeah. It's so, not like you're joining the, the high school swim team. No, yeah, yeah. So I <laughs> Exactly. That okay. was so weird. Like, who's this old guy? Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so I swam from uh, Loyola, Chicago on the north side to downtown, uh, symbolizing these graduates' uh, trajectory of success to higher ed to, mm. to corporations. So it was eight miles uh, on the on the lakeshore. Mm. And you had people cheering you along the whole way. Yeah, there people cheering, and uh, it was really great, and, um, and people were super generous. We, we raised a ton of money for Cristo Rey. So. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I always use this kind of anecdote, not about kind of anything I've done, but uh, that God really wants our gifts and talents. Like, what's the stuff you're good at? You know, mm-hmm. like, like there's definitely people who can learn from whatever your skills are. Yeah. Be it you know, teaching or gardening or, you know, economics, whatever you have a talent in, mm-hmm. there are people who could use help with that. Mm. Um, and, you know, swimming, like that's not ministerial in any way. <laughs> uh, but it's really prayerful for me. It's something I love. And mm. to be able to use that mm. for God's people is awesome mm. yeah tell me how swimming is prayer i'm really not yeah. an athlete i don't really understand how yeah the body like, yeah, yeah, yeah. i really use education totally yeah so um <laughs> so uh, i swim in the morning i swim at sunrise with uh, actually right here in hyde park and mm-hmm. uh, there's a whole group of us that swim and um every age and every nationality and we all come together uh and mm. swim in the lake and there's something really wondrous about being in Lake Michigan at sunrise and being hmm. so small and something so huge. Hmm. Um, and kind of that humility is like you can't turn away from it because hmm. I can't pretend I'm awesome and strong and cool and smart because I'll drown. Mm-hmm. Like, like I'm one hiccup away from drowning every time I get in the lake. Hmm. And, and that kind of proximity to death is um, really grounding. Hmm. Um, now, I don't do it like anyone listening. Like, I'm, I'm a pretty good swimmer. So I'm not like putting right. myself out in danger it would be dangerous for yeah, me yeah, yeah, to yeah, do yeah, this yeah, every yeah, morning yeah, yeah, yeah totally but you, but you get the same experience just being on the shoreline uh-huh like i am so small right it's just so huge and there's this entire ecosystem that i am a part of also mm-hmm. um so yeah so to immerse my body in it i just think there's something really beautiful about being like incarnate in my carne mm. in my meat and like mm. and using my body that god gave me and that God is in my body and God is in the ocean and mm. and yeah it, it pulls away any sort of ego I have or any sort of worries I have where it's really hard to be worried about you know um, a meeting I have later or you know scheduling all my it's like mm. yeah you got to worry about your arms and legs and your breathing or else you're gonna drown mm. uh, and mm. so there's kind of like a mindfulness to it mm. mm-hmm. um, but you know I think you're being so Catholic by talking about it <laughs> in Oh, the how we are incarnate here uh, creatures, and so, and we as Catholics are so sacramental, mm-hmm. and so prayer is embodied. Mm-hmm. It's and we are we understand ourselves to be embodied spirits. So, I I know that, like I really love liturgy because mm-hmm. I'm bowing, sitting, standing, yeah. singing, breathing, eating, that's right, smelling. All the all mm-hmm. the senses are involved. Mm-hmm. And it's the same for you when you're swimming, huh? Hundred percent. Yeah, it's a, it's a liturgy. You know, it's funny is most of the people I, I, I swim with are non-Catholics, non-Christians, non-believing. Um, but there's a certain like liturgy that we are a part of, and I'm mm. aware of it. Like like, mm. from like a sociological perspective, not necessarily a religious one. Yeah. We all arrive at the same time to do this thing together mm. that makes us all better. And we show up for each other and we put on our funny clothes, like our <laughs> swim outfits. Uh, and then we watch the sunrise. 
and there's this moment of supreme unity and wonder and awe hmm. and then we go to our day and do you know each other pretty well because we do, you yeah. keep doing we're a great this? community like yeah like, like this these are my only friends in chicago because i'm on the road so much <laughs> so it's like my swimming friends are my friends and mm. some of them are middle-aged ladies who do swim all year they swim every single day all year round these people are mm. so impressive mm. but there's something really similar um i think wonder and awe and a sense of the divine are so close that we sometimes use different words for it yeah where I'll post like a prayerful reflection about a morning swim or something. And like all of these atheists will be like commenting on it like, that's, that's right. That's awesome. Huh. Now, I'm using different words than them and we know that. Right. And I'm not trying to convert anyone. Right. But I'm using my language, which is liturgical and religious. And they're saying like, yeah, that language matches up to my experience. Huh. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I can hear how there's really communion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so what... Ooh, what's communion then? Yeah, I think I think in our liturgy, it's really represented really well. Um, you know what I love about uh, being Catholic is many things, but I like that you can show up anywhere in the world and you know what's going on at Mass. Mm-hmm. Like I like that you can be in Jamaica or Rwanda or Vietnam, and if you're at Mass, you might not know the, the words, but you know where we're at. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know where we're at Mass, and I think that's so cool. Um, and I also love the sense of like when we go up for communion, it's our hands are outstretched. Mm. You can't cut the line and you can't take it. You can't, <laughs> you can't take it out of the bowl. It's given to you. Uh huh. And like that sense of like rich and poor and, you know, Ash Wednesday was this week and like business people are next to janitors or next to homeless people. We're all in line with our hands outstretched mm. because we can't do it alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the bread and the wine are blessed and then they're broken mm-hmm. and then they're shared, which is ultimately the the christian experience like mm-hmm. that is that is the arc of yeah. being a human right. is we we come into this world blessed because mm-hmm. we are children of god mm-hmm. we are made in god's image and likeness and yep we're broken pretty quickly mm-hmm. and yet we're sharing constantly yeah. with one another and so like and and the beauty of the eucharist and communion is we all partake of this broken bread and receive it into our body. And so then there's this unity because we all are eating the same food. Yeah. And it be, is physically becoming part of part of us. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, that's just like, I, I don't know. Like, I love being Catholic for yeah. these reasons. That's right. that's all right. the symbols. It's totally. so beautiful. And we're hardwired for it, right? And yeah. I think like maybe my cynical part of me uh, worries for my peers who are desperate for community and connection mm-hmm. um, and are finding it in various ways. But like my cynical brain, forgive mm. me, dear listener, um, they don't care about you at Soul Cycle, and they don't care about you at Peloton. <laughs> you're paying. I don't it. even know what you're saying, These but are like, probably like very, not. I'm like, not there. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. These are like fanatical like workout things that people oh. use and find great meaning in, but that you reach a point. Where yeah, um, the workout class together, you're paying them to be there. Like right. like this is us. This is a business. And like there was this great New York Times article um, about how like um, Brene Brown and Glennon Doyle and these kind of like modern day digital social media kind of like prophets. Mm-hmm. But like they're also selling books. They're booksellers. They're booksellers, and they have an audience because of their books. And so it's like what they're saying is good, and I, it can be really healing for a lot of people. And Mm-hmm. You can show up at church with no money. Yeah. You can show up at you know at the at the food pantry with, with a lot of money. Like no, you know what I mean. The way we operate is different, and there's an economic component to the Catholic Church, of course. I'm not an idiot, but mm-hmm. um, 
the services aren't priced. Right, right. And in fact, um, sometimes the Catholic Church gets in trouble because people want people mm-hmm. to have a certain morality membership card mm-hmm. to be able to even engage. That's right. Right? Like, oh, this person didn't vote a certain way or mm-hmm. they're, um, they're doing this ministry to some people that we just don't believe that should be served mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. And um, actually, the Catholic teaching is that, like, yeah. all are welcome. All are welcome. All are welcome. Yeah. And we're building an inclusive church, yeah. aren't we? That's right. Hmm. And, and, and I think we get that wrong. You know, and I think as a Catholic church, we get it wrong. But yeah, they're all welcome. Vaxxers, anti-vaxxers, Trumpers, AOC fans, whoever. Mm-hmm. It's like you're all made in the image and likeness of God. And that's what's so radical about our theology is that like there's no one outside. Yeah. There's no one outside. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And... And the broken, we confront our brokenness with our discomfort in that, don't we? (laughs) And we would prefer to be tribal and hang out with our like-minded folks. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the the radicality of Jesus. It's Mm. like, I think sometimes we can try to make Jesus in our own image and likeness, Mm -hmm. whatever that is, whatever camp you're part of. Um, But he hangs out with the rich just as much as he does the poor. Yeah. He's always, you know, like, how do you know Jesus? Because he's getting a free meal from someone. Mm. can't turn a page in the bible without somebody inviting him over for dinner yeah it's like how did how did the disciples in the boat recognize him at the resurrection on the beach it's like oh that guy making lunch that's definitely jesus yeah. he's always eating <laughs> <laughs> i know we depict him so thin but yeah. that's just because he walked a lot <laughs> it wasn't about his eating that's right yeah oh yeah. uh, so matt for you what is what does it mean to be a disciple of jesus hmm. i think i mean to use a pope francis St. Ignatius Loyola line, but like it's to be a love sinner mm. and it's to hold both sides of that statement. I think we can, we can want to shy to one side or the other. We can lean heavy into our own sinfulness or we can lean heavy into our own belovedness. But if, if we're not actually holding both, I'm doing something wrong mm. is that, um, I am loved and I'm a sinner. And I think secular language feels uncomfortable around the idea of sin, but I know myself. You know what I mean? Like, like, I I am in need of God's grace every moment and every day. Uh, and as soon as I lose sight of that, I'm not doing it. Mm. It's become about me. Mm. Um, uh, and in the other side, like, if if I just go hard into the sin, um, which is some sort of like a weird Catholic comfort zone, is like we can feel too comfortable in the sin part, but without like grace and like the resurrection happened. So like. The sacraments are real. So like... Mm-hmm. like We are redeemed people, we are actually. Redeemed. We're redeemed. Now, that doesn't let us off the hook. Right. Right? And I think that I would say, yeah, certain circles of Catholicism can kind of feel like, well, I'm, we're, good. we're all good. It's mm-hmm. like, well... <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, what does it mean to be a disciple? Yeah, to be a love sinner. Um, mm. And like, what's your thing? I don't know. I, I, think, I think so much of our world is like, what's your thing? I want to be a generator of joy in this world. Mm-hmm. And me, that's me being really authentic and mm-hmm. offering what I have to God's people. Mm, yeah, but it is it is a constant balancing act, mm-hmm. and I think that's what I'm hearing with your your answer of being a disciple means to be a loved sinner. Mm-hmm. That it is this this dance of both and all the time, mm-hmm. and knowing like okay, yeah, I need to be real. Mm-hmm. That's a limit. That's I don't have the capacity for that. That's a weakness of mine, and. I have this strength that I can latch onto and I can let grow, glow brighter. And yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like, how do we? How do we? Uh, a sister Norma has this great, uh, this great quote. I'm gonna get it wrong, but it's something like, like God's given you everything. Like nothing, you, nothing, none of this is ours. None of this is our, of our own making. Yeah. So like, our job is to give it all back to God, hmm. and not hold anything back. And that's scary, because like, what does that mean? You know what I mean? And it's like, it's like, well, that's, for me, I think, especially when I was a younger religious, was like, yeah, God, you can have like. 87% of me, but I want to keep some of this stuff for me. You know what I mean? Or like, yeah, yeah. I want to keep some stuff. And it's like, well, yeah, what's going on there? Mm. Yeah, we can't just let it all go. Uh, yeah. Give it our weaknesses as well as the our whole strength. Thing. Here's it all. The whole package. Here's, here's, and like, we kind of did this funny Adam and Eve thing. Like, we pretend like God doesn't know us fully uh-huh. and didn't make us. Right. And it's like, well, you don't know about this part. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, who are we fooling? You know what I mean? Like, you can't like, hide yeah, right? who you are from your maker. Totally. And I think Genesis is so helpful for like just how humans are. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we, we, we somehow think that like we can hide. Uh-huh. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Huh. <laughs> Someone told me that they went to a final vows um, liturgy for a sister once. I think they, mm-hmm. I think it was in. It was in India, and and there was this giant banner that over the altar during mm-hmm. during the her profession that just said take me take me Jesus you can have all of me or something mm-hmm. and it and it had this major impression like that was the theme wow. of her vows, but the person like this going back to sex again came back and told me the story as isn't that hilarious doesn't that sound like something you would say mm-hmm. to someone in sex, mm-hmm. and and I was like. Well, I don't really know, but I think both are about love and intimacy, yeah. right? Totally. So. And how do you, and how do we? I mean, that's that's what I always tell people if I'm praying at a wedding or whatever. It's like, in the Catholic tradition, the couple gives the sacrament to each other. Yeah. The priest is just there to make sure that this doesn't go off the rails. But like in that love, the community—it's always in front of people. The community is learning. It's a small reflection of how God loves us. Yeah so fully and it's so true and it's sickness and long life or short or whatever and like we get to see a little glimmer of what how much god loves us through the couple mm-hmm. so yeah there's a lot of connections of intimacy and i i think intimacy and spirituality are like overlap oh these yeah. aren't these aren't separate i mean if you're like <laughs> if you're inviting you know like what you were saying about contemplative prayer if you're inviting to be overwhelmed by the waters of god's love What's more intimate than that? I mean, that's as vulnerable as one can be. Right. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Uh, so the reality, though, uh, we both know this is like, this isn't easy. This mm-hmm. It's a real struggle. Sure. And um, every day is a challenge and there's crosses we got to pick up and carry mm-hmm. as, as we're following Jesus. Uh, so, Matt, for you... What is messy about living the gospel? Um, it'd be a lot easier not to believe in God. Mm. I'd be a millionaire. <laughs> yeah, no, I could see that. You have that like that white man physique. Yeah, you would yeah, be yeah. able to like just climb that right. ladder so easily. Totally. totally. Um, yeah. What's the messy part? Um, the messy part is keep showing up. Mm. How do you keep showing up? How do you keep showing up in a church that is broken and run by people at times that are not making good choices? Right. How do you how do you 
continue to show up for marginalized communities and continue to show up for your family and continue to show up for yourself. It's like, that's messy. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I joined the Society of Jesus. That's why I'm here. Mm. It's not the society part. It's the Jesus part that I'm here. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the, the messiness is the human stuff that's in every organization. You know, I think the church has learned a lot since you and I joined Religious Life. Um, and I'm actually very proud of the way that the church has responded to a lot of various crises and whatnot. Um, but yeah, if, you know, tomorrow if there's more stuff in the news, that's horrible news for us. From, from a corporation perspective, it's like, I'm not shocked by that. Mm-hmm. Like, this is who we are. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's messy. Um, so it's commitment. It's commitment. It's commitment. But like, this is my team. I'm all in. So there is a movement, I think, in society to like, um, dash down all organizations, yeah. cancel them, because these are all they're all rooted in the horrible things. No, like maybe that's true, and maybe it's manifested that way. Mm-hmm. And we're rooted in the gospel. So, like, what is the what is the world hungry for right now? It's hope and mercy. Mm. That's the good news we have to proclaim. That's our that's our wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. So, like, hope and mercy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the resurrection. Thank you so much, Matt, for coming on Messy Jesus Business. It's great to be here with you, sister. Thank you. Yeah. Do your um, Do you have anything you want to plug for the listeners to look up if they're if they thought you were charming and they're curious about how to support your swimming yeah, and travels? I apologize for anything heretical I might have said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, follow me on Instagram uh, at uh, br underscore matt. Okay. Great. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs>
That's it for this episode of Messy Jesus Business. Thanks for listening. Messy Jesus Business is produced and hosted by me, Sister Julia Walsh, and edited by Cherish Bedzinski. You can find us online at MessyJesusBusiness.com and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon. If you like what you heard, please be sure to mention our podcast to your friends and followers. And we'd love to have your support via Patreon. From the bottom of our hearts and the middle of the mess, thank you. Messy Jesus Business is produced in partnership with the Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration. You can learn more about our religious community and donate to our mission at www.fspa.org. I'm Sister Julia Walsh, and I'll catch up with you next time. Until then, peace and all good.